0: Greatness of grace. The greatness of grace. Um, do you need something for me, Miss Karen? Okay. Yeah, no, the internet's struggling, so it could. It just keeps dropping it. Um, maybe it'll come up again, but we'll see. Um, if it doesn't, you got the slides right in the thing. Is it firing now? Okay, we'll see. It keeps losing to me, so anyway. <clears throat> this morning, the greatness of grace. Um, last week was, was tough, I'll be honest with you, as I thought about the fact that was Mother's Day and the text that we were in was in Isaiah chapter 2. It was some tough sledding. And um, as I've kind of Monday morning quarterback, so to speak, um, this week examining that text and how that went, I thought, you know what, I mean, uh, to some extent that passage maybe fits parenting and judgment. That there is that challenge of as we deal with all of that, of walking through that text, of realizing, you know what, parenting is hard. There's times with parenting when we deal with with how do we handle issues, how do we handle this, this moment. Um, some days are messy. Some days, as parents, we don't always get it right. Um, and so as we walked through that text, there was a reminder, and I think, I think we, hopefully we saw that, that the only hope was Christ, that there's a day coming when all things will be made new, when there's going to be a day coming when, when Zion, Jerusalem will be raised up, and the good news of the gospel will go forth. So I, I say that kind of maybe as a predecessor as we walk now to chapter three, that we hit another tough chapter. Chapter three, again, is, is tough sledding. And so what I want to encourage you with today is, is, Walk with me. We got a tall mountain to climb, Isaiah chapter three, but we get there. The view at the top is going to be worth it. We're going to climb today from Isaiah three, and it's going to be some tough, again, some tough climb. But we get to chapter four, and we're going to close today with chapter four. The view is going to be worth it. So walk with me. We'll walk with the prophet Isaiah up this mountain to hear the greatness of grace. The greatness of grace. Chapter 2, close with this statement, verse 22 of Isaiah 2. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? He says, listen, you guys are relying upon man and not God. He says, I want you to realize you don't need to be doing that because man can is not reliable. Look, he says, if your reliance is upon man or might or machines or medicine, I want you to know that hope can change in a moment. But there is one that does not change, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father himself. He says, listen, I want you guys to stop relying upon the things of this world. And look what he says here. You know why, guys, you should stop relying upon the things of this world for, right? Again, just giving a little bit of clarity of why Isaiah is saying this, why the Lord is bringing forth this word through his messenger. Four, he says, Behold, the Lord God of hosts is going to do something. So God is going to do something. And that something is he's going to take away from Jerusalem and, and Judah all support and supply, all support of bread and all support of water. He says, Listen, God's going to bring judgment because you have relied upon other things other than him. And watch what happens to him. Further, verse 2, he begins to tell us more about what this judgment looks like on the, upon the people. He says, God is going again. Look what God's going to do again. Remember this. He's taking things away. He's going to take away the mighty man, the soldier, the judge, the prophet, the diviner, the elder The captain of 50, the man of rank, the counselor, the skillful magician, and the expert in charms. So what's happening here is Isaiah saying that, listen, it's kind of like a big picture. Like nationally, the government, those that are ruling over the people, God is removing them. And then he comes all the way down to the elder, to the local congregation, to the lower level here of the community and saying, listen, even those people are going to be removed. God is bringing about judgment upon his people. Every area of society society is being affected by it. Look what happens further. And I will make boys, verse 4, and I will make boys their princes and infants shall rule over them. Now remember back what he said here in verse 1. The Lord was taking away from Jerusalem and now God is going to make Boys, their princes and infants shall rule over them. It's possible, right? We're going to have some throughout the judgments. There's oftentimes where teenagers become kings, right? But he's also saying, listen, the people that are going to be put in leadership in the government, right? In these, these positions of prominence, of decision making are going to be people that are not ready to make decisions for the people, so if you notice, God is sovereign. He is over, right? He's removing some from power and putting others up there. And you say, well, how's he doing that? Watch what happens. Look at this. It's this beautiful. Verse 6. For a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have a cloak. You shall be our leader. And this heap of ruin shall be under your rule. So God is at work. Ruling and reigning, removing some from power, putting others up. How? Through the process of the people voting and election. Romans 13 and 1 tells us that there is no one in authority except those that God has placed there. Daniel 4 and 25 tells us that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone He wishes. And so you and I look at the landscape of our political climate and realize these things are not by accident. There is a God who often... Can bring up good appointments for people to rule over, but God may also allow wicked rulers to bring His judgment. And so here we are in the midst of this, in the midst of voting in our climate. And so it would be wise and perceptive for us as God's people to look and say, who most holds to the truth of God's word? Those are the people that I need to be aligning my votes with. Those that look to God's word. Those who hold to his truth. Those who, who bring about the glory of God and seek his ways. You say, well, what's going to happen when the nation begins to collapse? What begins to happen when we look at these folks that are not equipped to lead? Watch what happens, verse 5. And this people, it says, these people will oppress one another. See much oppression in our day? God says part of the judgment that's happening is that people are not equipped to lead. And now those are beginning to make selfish decisions. And those decisions will begin to oppress one another. And he says it's going to start on the big scheme, right, of those that are ruling. But it's going to come down to the local individual, to us as oppressing, look what he says, everyone his fellow and everyone his neighbor. And look what he says further about this. He says the youth will be insolent to the elder. There's going to be a lack of respect For the aged in that society. Again guys this is 700 BC. But let's be honest. There is a lot of familiarity between what's happening here. And what is taking place in America. And what's taking place here in 700 B.C., these 2,700 years prior, is the judgment of God. So maybe as the people of God, we don't need to put our heads in the sand, but instead to recognize that, listen, God is bringing some judgment to America, and we need to repent as God's people. We need to pray. We need to love. We need to speak the truth. We need to act on behalf of those who are being oppressed and overlooked, and we need to hold fast to God's Word. There needs to be a right response. And you say, well, Blake, why is God so upset with his people? Like, what's happened that this is taking place in the midst of Jerusalem and Judah? Well, guess what? Good question. In fact, Isaiah the prophet, as any good writer does, or as any prophet man of God, God answers that question for us. Look what he says here. Verse 8, 4, he says, for here's what's happening. He says, I want you guys to know, here's the reason why this judgment is happening. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen. You would say, why in the world have they stumbled? Why have they fallen? Why, why has this happened? Because, right? He's answering your question. You want to know why? Because their speech and their deeds are against who? Against the Lord. And they are defying what? His glorious presence. They're defying God's glory by the way they are living their lives. And here's what's amazing about that, guys. This isn't like the occasional slip-up. Right, this isn't the moment in which they just like occasionally mess up or they don't get it right. No, this, this fact that their speech and their deeds are against the Lord indicates a way of life. In fact, it's a way of life that is so flamboyant and against God. Look what it says further, verse 9. For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not what? They do not what? Come on, stay with me. They don't hide it. They're saying, listen, I can declare what's truth for me. My truth may not be your truth, but my truth is equal to your truth. And I will live any way I want to. And it says, listen, just like the people of Sodom, man, they lived any lifestyle they wanted. And they wanted to do anything they wanted to do. And it says, listen, the same way my people, God's own people are living any way they want to. And is this saying, God, you can't do anything about it. And God says, I'm absolutely going to do something about it. Why? Because he's a good parent. He's a good father. He doesn't turn his head to it. He says, listen, I love you. You are my people. I'm going to to, to respond. And so we look, he says, woe to them, for they have brought what? Evil on themselves. Right? We we studied it many weeks ago, but back in Galatians 6, when God says, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man or woman will reap what? Reap what they sow. The principle still true here 700 B.C. Right. The truth is, listen, you may think that you can live any way you want, and maybe your mom and dad don't know it. Maybe the people at school don't know it. You can hide it. You can get by with your teacher by cheating on that test. You can do deceptive things, and maybe the the administration, the staff of that school doesn't know. Maybe your employer doesn't recognize it. Maybe your spouse doesn't see it. Maybe you've got the wool over your grandparents' eyes, whomever. But God says, I want you to know I see it all. See, listen... Be careful, woe to us, for they brought evil on themselves. Your teacher may not know, your parents may not know, but there is one who knows. You're not hiding it from him. The people think they can live any way they want. He says, listen, I want you to know that's not true. So what he does first here is he speaks specifically about the men, about the leadership of the country. And now he's going to transition. We've got to move a little bit here. got to jump pace to verse 16. He speaks about the women. What he's wanting to do is he's giving us a holistic picture of the people of Judah and Jerusalem. He's giving us a big ball picture of what's happening. Look with me, would verse 16. The Lord said, because the daughters of Zion... Are haughty. So he's saying, "Listen, the women are prideful, just like the men, and they walk with outstretched necks, they glancing wantonly with their eyes." Some translation render that they're flirting with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet. Therefore, the Lord will strike with a scab the heads of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will lay bare their secret parts. Judgment's coming. Look further with me, if you would, though. Verse eighteen: In that day. Again, that in that day is a refrain that's used throughout of judgment. So keep that in your mind, that verse 18 there. In that day, the Lord will take away the finery of the ankles, headbands, crescents, pendants, scarves, headdresses. I'm just kind of moving through. Sashes, amulets, signet rings, nose rings, festal robes, mantles, cloaks, handbags, mirrors, linen garments, turbans, veils, Right. And I saw this right here and I thought about handbags and I just typed into Google really quickly, expensive handbags. And this is what I found. This is a crocodile handbag. I got good news and bad news for the men here today. The good news is this. It's only twenty four thousand dollars. That's the good news. The bad news is, as of yesterday or just a day or so ago, there's only one remaining, so you've got to fight over it, right? That's the bad news, right? But listen, they've got all of this stuff, right? These ladies have all of this stuff, right? They've been acquiring all of these things. Listen, Isaiah is not condemning the things necessarily. It's the fact that the heart is just relying upon these, that that's where their worth comes from. That's what their life is after. Watch what happens. Verse 25, your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty men in battle. Further with me, verse 1 of Isaiah 4. And seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying, we will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. According to the law, that was the man's responsibility to provide for his wife. Only, look what it says, let us be called by your name, take away our reproach. Why? Because the men have fallen in battle, right? You see that? The men have died. There's no men left. Here's the here's the here's the irony of what's taking place as we come into chapter four, verse one. Is the men had sought after a ruler, verse six of chapter three, and now the women are seeking after a husband. The men were looking for social strength and could not find it. The men the women were looking for a husband and could not find it, despite the fact they had done their best to impress, despite the fact they were looking anywhere and everywhere for someone. Isaiah was indeed right, wasn't he? In verse 22 of Isaiah 2, to stop putting your trust in man, for what account is he? He's answering why we shouldn't do that. Because the men had looked, and they couldn't find anyone that was ready to lead. The women had looked everywhere for a husband. In fact, there was not anyone to marry. And we come to this moment, and um, verse 2 starts with this statement. In that day. And typically throughout, right, in that day, you saw it back in verse 1 here, you saw it previously, um, there are a few verses back, in that day is always a moment of judgment, right? It's this this moment, like you hear this and you think, man, this is not going to be good, right? Again, you, you've been walking, you're like, man, this is a tough mountain to climb. It is, it's a tough mountain to climb. And it, I don't know if you've ever had moments like when, have any of you ever like gone to the drive-thru and you ordered something and just as you pull away or you get home, you find what? You didn't get it all right. Something's not right. You're missing something. You ever had those moments? That's kind of where the people of Israel are. They've kind of gone through the drive through of life, and they've tried to find this and that, and all the while they thought it was good, only to open up and look and realize, man, there's some real stuff missing in the drive through of my life. And guess what? If we were really honest, most of us would expect that what's coming now is just more judgment. If you read in the New Testament, a book to the church at Ephesus, Paul writes to them and he says these words is beginning in chapter two. He says, listen, guys, I want you to know that the entire world is under the influence of the power of the prince of the air. That's Satan. He says, I want you to know that everyone's under the influence of Satan. He says, we are all sinners. He says, we are all following our flesh. He says further in verse 3, we are by nature objects of wrath. And what we would expect when we come to verse 4 of Ephesians 2 is just further condemnation and judgment. The same thing that we are expecting when we come here further into verse 2 when he says, in that day. And yet what happens in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 is major. It just simply says two words. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive together with Christ Jesus. See, this moment of the condemnation and the guilt of God's people, and they realize that they are hopeless and helpless until mercy and the greatness of God's grace steps in in Christ. That's exactly what's happening here in 700 B.C. Listen to these words in verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 4 as you and I make our final steps coming to the top of this mountain to look over at the landscape of what's coming look at this this is beautiful in that day he says the branch of the lord shall be beautiful and glorious that is not at all what we should expect right And he says, listen, I want you to know that despite what you deserve, there is going to be grace and mercy that steps into your life. And we, as the people of God, ought to say hallelujah to that. And we might also need to answer who in your life also needs to receive that mercy and grace from you. In that day, he says, the branch of the Lord. Now, what's interesting is Jeremiah 23 and 5 speaks about this branch continually, but it's a branch of David. What's happening here is I think Isaiah is showing for us that Jesus, the coming Messiah, the branch of the Lord, will be not only a branch of David, that he will have a earthly line that traces him back to David, but he will also have a divine heavenly line that traces his lineage to God the Father. And he says, listen, I want you to know the branch of the Lord is going to come in that day. He said it'll be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. It's interesting, um, if you notice, I think some of you probably are, are using the King James Version. If you do, instead of of, right in that place, you're going to see the fact that this, he says, it's for the survivors of Israel. And I think it's an important note for us to realize, what is God doing here? He's doing something for the people that they could never do for themselves. This is where grace and mercy is stepping in. This is your life today. You and I are chapter 3 people. And yet, by the mercy and greatness of God's grace, we can walk and look today as we climb up that mountain to see the beauty of Isaiah chapter 4 and the branch of the Lord who is indeed the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Look what he says, though. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful. Now, I think it's more than ironic the fact that he would use that the branch of the Lord is going to be beautiful. Why? Because we've just heard about seven or eight verses from chapter 3, verse 16 through chapter 23 of everything the women were trying to do to make themselves beautiful. And ladies, I think this is important for you because now finally when the Messiah comes, His beauty is going to become their beauty. Like no matter, no longer like do I have to like look good enough in the mirror, like my makeup to be right enough, my hair to be enough, my body image to look right enough. Finally, there is a place that I can come and find true beauty in, and it's not in the outward appearance, but it's in fact in my Savior, and His name is Jesus, and now I have a healthy image of who I am in Him. It's the beauty of the Lord. Look what he says. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful. Ladies, they looked everywhere for the perfect husband. And finally he has come and his name is Jesus. Wow, what a place for the women of God to rest. And fellas, let's be honest. We often are just as consumed with our own image as well. Might it be good news for us to finally have a place of rest In the beauty of who Christ is. And not in what we can do outwardly. Man, what a moment. But he says, listen, I want you to know that when Jesus comes, this branch of the Lord, not only is he going to be beautiful. Listen, guys, listen, man, there's... There's so much meat here. This this is like buffet line where you just have to stop and say, you know what? I could have a lot of other sides that I really like, but this is the main dish. Give me Jesus. That's This is what's happening here, right? So, 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 man, I don't know if you even need a fork for this. This is probably just grab and eat. This is that good. Listen to what he says. He says, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful, and it's going to be glorious. Now, what's happened in the previous verses is they tried to get their glory for themselves. Right, The men were trying to figure out any way that they could get the right leader, the right person, that their nation could have the right glory. Right, That's what they all along wanted. That's how Saul even became the first king of Israel. They wanted to be like every other nation. They wanted the glory to look like every other nation. And that didn't work out for them. Listen, the men thought they could do it. The ladies thought they could do it. And he says, listen, I want you to know that it's only the branch of the Lord that can bring true glory. So maybe just a practical moment for some of you. Maybe you've thought, sought out after your own glory. You've tried in whatever it was, business, academics, sports, whatever you've tried to excel in, and it hasn't worked out for you. For others of you, it may be the flip. You've excelled really well, whether it's financially, academically, sports, connections, whatever, and you've ranked up and you've got that toy or you've got that place or you've finally reached that place. And you've realized that, guess what, when you got there, it's not at all what you thought. You're still thinking, asking the question maybe, is this all there is? Guys. Our glory is not in and of ourselves. And if it is so, it is temporary and will be taken away. There is a permanent and forever glory. And it is in the name of God's Son who died on the cross, who was buried in the third day by the power of God raised again. Find your glory and significance and beauty in Him. I told you, man, the view's worth it, isn't it? Just stop and look around for a moment like, man, this is a good view. And then listen, man, it just, it just keeps getting better. Let's, let's jump forward. I know time's pressing, man. I just, there's just so much. Blessed be his name for his word. Wow. And he who is left, verse three with me, Isaiah four, and he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called what? Holy. These people are called holy. Those people are called holy. Yeah, that's the greatness of grace. Because their story can become your story. And their story is only found in the branch of the Lord, who is indeed Jesus. And that's where you enter the story, too. Look what he says. Man, listen, they will be called holy. Everyone who's been recorded for life in Jerusalem, you say, well, Blake, how did those people become holy? Because some of you are saying, you know what, I look a little bit like those people How did those people become holy? That word means set apart. That's the word that's used of God, by the way, that he set apart and different. He says, listen, I want you to know that you can become set apart and different. You can become sinless and holy as God is holy. You say, how? Look what he says here. Verse four, Isaiah four, when The Lord, the Lord's going to have to do something, right? This just doesn't happen. You can't do this on your own. So pump the brakes on that. If you're thinking maybe I need to try this or do that or this. No, just just pump your brakes. Hear Jesus words. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Here's a place to rest. Man, here's a place to rest. Dude, just set up tent, set up shop at the top of this mountain and look out at the glory and the grace and the mercy of God. Wow, this is so good. Man, I just hope, I just hope and pray you'll come. I hope and pray you'll come and sit and listen and look. When the Lord shall have, look what God's going to do. He's going to wash away what? The filth of the daughters of Zion. And he's going to cleanse what? The blood stains of Jerusalem from its midst. Wow. These folks are going to experience the greatness of God's grace. Maybe you desire that. Maybe you say, Oh, I wish that was me. I would love to be washed right now. I would love to be cleansed from all of the things, Blake, if you only knew where I'd been, who I've been with, what I've done, what I've not done. If you only knew the stuff that was hiding in my past. If you only knew what was hiding from behind this drawer from last night. And yet I would say to you, if you only knew the greatness of his sacrifice, if you only knew that on that cross, all of that was taken away. Oh, you would come and run and say, I want to be washed. I want to be clean. Who is this one that would take my sin and shame? And how did he do it? Well, look what the text says. It says, listen, I want you to know that this washing, this cleansing is going to come by a spirit of judgment, he says, and by a spirit of burning. There's some lack of clarity exactly what this implies. um, But nonetheless, Judgment is going to take it away. The people are going to go into exile. Judgment's coming. Captivity is coming. But guys, we know that there's an even greater judgment that came because of sin. Look with me you would. Just a couple of texts, man. I know time's so tight. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest. This is Zechariah chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Hear now, Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are they for they are men who are assigned. Behold, God is going to again do something. He's going to bring my servant who? The branch, which is what you just heard in verse two of Isaiah four connections, right? You're making the connections. Come on, link it together. God's going to bring my servant, the branch. And what's the servant going to do? Look what he says. Verse nine of Isaiah or Zechariah three. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove what? Iniquity. Again, this dirt, this uncleanness, the same thing we read just now in Isaiah 4. He's going to do it. Look what he says he's going to do it, though. He's going to do it in what? A single day. Now, again, we're making some spiritual gestures here of what's being written, but let's, I think it's warranted. When did that single day happen that the judgment came, that sin was, iniquity was taken away? On the cross, didn't it? The branch of the Lord had to come, which is the Messiah, the Savior. He had to come, and in a single day, on that cursed cross, the blessed Son of God is dying for your sin, beloved. For my scoundrel's sake, there is one on the cross who is sinless, and he's suffering. And it was the plan of the Lord to remove that sin in a single day. Remember, just a couple of these words from Isaiah 3. Echo them in your mind. These were people, verse 5, of oppression. They were insolent, right? They were disobedient to the elders. They despised others. They had stumbled. They had fallen. Their speech, their deeds were always against the Lord. They were defying His presence. They proclaimed their sin like Sodom. They did not hide it. They lived for evil. They were woe to the wicked. They dealt out. They misled. Verse 12. They misled. Their gods were misleading. They swallowed up the course of the path. Look what it says. They devoured the vineyard. They crushed the people. They Grind the face of the poor. The women were prideful. They were glaming wantonly. And listen, in a single day, the blessed Lamb of God had come and taken away their sin forever. Hallelujah! What a Savior! This is the gospel that is worthy of us knocking on doors this afternoon at six p.m. I wonder, will you take that gospel with us? I mean, I've got so much other text, but let's help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Look, look briefly, just briefly, just a moment. I know I keep saying briefly. I had a, had a great pastor warn me. Just um, do a podcast, not like I know him or anything, but it was a great warning nonetheless. Um, he said, As preachers, we are like flight attendants. Don't ever promise to land early just because the people look restless. And it's wise, right? So when I say next, some of you are catching on. So I'm trying to do better about that. I'm trying to be as transparent and open as I can and trying to heed that man's wisdom. A great man of God, H.B. Charles Jr., a um, pastor there in Florida. Um, anyway, nonetheless, back to verse 3 just for this part, just for a moment. Yeah, He who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem be called holy. Look what it says. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. That's a challenging statement. Um so as we look at that and the realization that these people are made holy, why is anyone even left in Jerusalem? Well, Isaiah 1 and 9 told us, if the Lord of hosts had not left any survivors, none would have remained. So God has left some and yet those who have remained there have now been called holy there is a work of god in salvation there was a work of god in drawing Owen Hodges unto himself there was a work of god in drawing you unto the lord jesus christ yet there is also a response of the individual look with me you would verse 16 of malachi 3 then those who fear the lord spoke with one another the lord paid attention and heard them and a book of remembrance remember what we just said there in verse 3 of isaiah that their names were being, everyone whose name had been recorded, right? Excuse me. A book of remembrance. Excuse me. Man, I've been battling this stuff. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. So listen, there's always the response to the work of God's great grace. So today, you can't just hear this. There's a call for you to respond to it. the text is um is it work further let's let's just kind of close out the chapter here close out our view over this this beautiful valley of god's great grace then the lord will create over the whole side of mount zion so god's doing something the lord will create right we're thinking back to genesis 1 there's some new creation now that's happening because we've distorted the old one then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day. And what do you think is coming by night? Come on. What do you think is coming? Fire by night, right? You're, you're walking back to Exodus, the people of God, as they were delivered out of, uh, out of Egypt as they ran the Lord part of the Red Sea. The Lord provided a cloud by day and what? A fire by night. It was his presence that was with the people. That's what Isaiah wants you to realize. There is coming a day because of Jesus, that the unclean people will be made holy, and therefore they will dwell with God forever. That's a big picture. Someone like me, someone like you, could dwell with a holy, perfect God forever and ever. He says, "Listen, I want you to know. It's a cloud by day and a fire by night. Look what he says further." For over all the glory, he says, there's going to be a canopy that's always used of the marriage chamber throughout the Old Testament. The ladies who were so desperate again to have a man love them have finally now found a man in whom they can rest, and it is none other than the branch of the Lord. The men who were so desperate to have the right man lead them have finally now found a place to rest, and it's in the branch of the Lord, none other than the Lord Jesus himself. Look what he says as he closes out this chapter. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge, some of you, that sounds great, for a refuge and a shelter from what? The storm and rain. Finally, God's people can lay down and rest and nothing will harm them again. Now, what's interesting about this is that the pagan people often believe that all these other gods were in charge of the weather, right? Like this God God controlled the rain. This God was in charge of the sun. This God was in charge of the moon. And I think maybe here's just a reminder that all the false gods that are competing against you all. I mean, many of you testified that. I mean, Owen's aunt was sharing from Ephesians 6, if you were hearing that, about the full armor of God, because there's there's rulers, authorities, principalities, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, according to Paul in Ephesians 6, that are warring against you and I, warring against the soul of your children, warring against your own soul. And here's a reminder that all of these gods, once and for all, will be cast out. No more enemy. You say, Blake, I, I'm not sure, man, maybe you're making too much of that I can, tell you this. I can tell you this, it meant a lot to a five-year-old at our house this week. Monday morning, family Devo time had just finished, and we were just briefly having a little bit of dialogue with the boys. And a five-year-old at our house mentioned that he had had a, a bad dream the night before. And we said, well, well, baby, what happened? He says, well, they burned me at the stake. It's pretty intense for a five-year-old. Um, a little bit of background is we've been reading through a book about God's people um, who had led up to the Reformation there in the 1500s and there was a man by the name of John Huss who is faithfulness to the Word of God. Do you realize the fact that you sang as a congregation this morning was a result of men like that? Because listen, no one else could sing. Do you realize that in that day and time they would often take a chain and attach the Bible the only copy they had to the lecture and why? Because they didn't want normal people like us to have it. They gave their lives because they disagreed with the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. And John Huss was burnt at the stake in 1415. One quote Huss gives, he began increasingly to trust the scriptures. He said, desiring to hold, believe, and assert whatever is contained in them as long as I have breath in me. And so we asked the five-year-old at our table, son, why did they burn you at stake? And there was a brief pause, and the answer came back this, because I was preaching the gospel, daddy. To which I sat back in my chair and pondered for a brief moment and then looked him in the eye and I said, Son, I want to ask you a very important question. Do you believe it was worth it? And the response came, Yeah, Daddy. That night prior to bedtime, I would go in there in the midst of the darkness with only a little nightlight shining And I would tell my boys to fix their thoughts on this. That because of Jesus, there is coming a day when there will be no more bad dreams. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more death. There will be no more sin. There will be no more selfishness. There will be no more disobeying their parents. There will be no more parents making bad decisions and causing hardship on you. There will be no more death of people like granddaddy. There will be no more sadness there. There will be no more tears there. Boys, fix your eyes on that as you go to sleep tonight. Let Him be your joy. So this afternoon at 6 p.m., we will knock on the doors of Greensburg, KY, and maybe God has been knocking on the door of your heart this morning and letting you and reminding you that God's design was perfect and yet sin distorted it. And that has brought brokenness. And instead of us returning back to God, we have gone all our own ways. And the good news for the people of Isaiah's day in 700 B.C. is that the good news of Jesus, the branch of the Lord, was coming. He has come. That is the gospel, the good news. He gave his life for us on the cross to take away your sin and shame. And listen, beloved, if you, like O, will repent of your sins, that's acknowledging your way of life is wrong, God's way is right, believing upon that name, you will be saved. And then, beloved, you will be filled with God's Holy Spirit, not in your own strength, to recover and pursue and to live out God's design. Do you want that? The greatness of God's grace. Don't pass by it this morning. Don't take it for granted. It's the only hope for those in 700 B.C. Here, 2,700 plus years later, it's our only hope as well. And it's found only in the name of Jesus. Will you today repent and believe? The good news is that brokenness right there, Romans 5 and 8 says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while you're still in your brokenness, Christ died for you. Not after you cleaned up your life enough. In the midst of your sin, here and now, God loves you and sent His Son to die for you to take away your sin and shame. Would you repent and believe on Him? Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, draw all men, all women, all boys and girls unto you. I pray, God, tonight as they sit there at the top of that mountain, I pray that their breath has been taken away, not by the beauty of nature, but by the beauty as they behold their God, as they see the glory of your greatness, of your grace and your mercy that could wash away the sin of those people. Might they say, listen, Lord, you in the same way will wash away my sin. Father, may they repent today and believe on the name of Jesus. Father, for the body of Christ, may they be edified and built up. May their hope in Jesus be affirmed. And God, I pray, man, honestly, Lord, I just just pray that we would just hear this and say, man, that's great news for me, and then forget about Greensburg KY. How selfish, God, of us. Lord, I realize that we may have other commitments, but God, on an ongoing basis, I pray that we'll be out sharing the gospel. And for those that don't, God, I pray that tonight, might be a first step of saying i need to take this good news to my community here father may you change schedules may you rearrange our hearts and our priorities that daily we will want to take this gospel to this community of the nations father we love you and we thank you for the greatness of your grace in your name i pray lord amen i invite you this morning beloved i don't invite you man it's god's invitation My invitation won't get you anywhere. I can't even get you home. God invites you on behalf of his son who died on the cross for you to come.